Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, this is Business of Design. I'm so glad you're here. Otherwise, I'd be talking to myself, which... I do sometimes, actually. Uh, Hi, I'm Kimberly Selden. I'm an interior designer. Perhaps you're an interior designer, decorator, stager, stylist, architect, uh, floral designer, uh, tile, textile designer. We're glad you're here. And uh, I'm going to talk about something that's top of mind for me this week. And it has to do with being mindful, being present, being where my feet are. Does that make sense to you? I so often find I'm sitting in a client meeting and my mind is wandering off to the next client situation I have to handle, or I'm working on some paperwork for a project, not particularly glamorous, not too keen and excited about it. And I put it aside for a second to check my emails or check my phone or look at a text. I've noticed that when I do that, the actual task I want to accomplish, the task that I'm not so keen to do in the first place, takes about five times longer. So it extends the pain. And I wondered to myself recently if I was actually being effective at my job. So I began experimenting. I started looking at mindfulness. And I remember distinctly as a young parent having two little kids being at the park with Cooper and Raleigh and not being present, focused on the lengthy to-do list that was in my head and all the things I was going to do as soon as we got back home and I could put them in front of the television set. I had to work really hard to just appreciate the moment I was in, the moment that I was perhaps pushing one of my kids on a swing set or watching them go down the slide or playing with them in a sandbox. I had to really focus and work hard at being present for those moments. I knew they were precious. I knew they were more important than the things that were in my head, but somehow I couldn't stop the noise. So over the past few months, I decided to try a number of things, uh, including meditation, and I got myself a few different apps that I've used. And actually, I think the one I like the most, um, I tried Headspace, and I, I really love it. The guy is charming, but his voice is so distinct. Um, I just couldn't get him out of my head. And then more recently, I've been using something called Insight Timer, and we'll provide the link to that in the show notes at businessofdesign.com, but Insight Timer. What I like about that one is it gives me topics. And so if I feel that I need to be present in my day or I have to tackle a hard situation, I can search for a meditation that's appropriate to that. And that seems to be more helpful right now. 
I also sought out a meditation class. So I decided instead of going to my normal yoga class, where, by the way, I actually love Shavasana and I love to meditate at the end of yoga. I'm tired physically, and it seems to be the one time I can sort of get quiet and be present. Uh, But anyway, I decided to forego that and I would go to this meditation class. And I chose a studio called Unplugged in Santa Monica on Wilshire Boulevard. And I was shocked. There were so many people there. I'm going to say there were 45 people in the class. And that's the size of a popular yoga class in Santa Monica. Um, It's about twice the size of a popular yoga class in Toronto. Um, So I was really surprised to see so many people doing meditation. I thought, first of all, how do they have time to do this if they're also fitting in work and children and family and exercise? How do they have time to meditate instead of one of those other things? But anyway, people seem to be highly engaged in the process and they show up on a regular basis, sometimes several times a week. And I found the experience to be intriguing. I can't say I levitated in that first experience, but I did find those few minutes uh, of settling into relaxation challenging, and then I sort of forgot about myself, I guess I would say, for the next 45 minutes or so. And the teacher wrapped up the class with some Zen wisdom, Uh, and I found that to be really comforting. I left the class feeling calm, more calm than when I arrived. Um, and I left with a feeling that I don't know if I, I don't know if I have space in my life at present to do an hour meditation class, but certainly if I could get that same feeling from 10, 15, 20 minutes, uh, doing a guided or even self-directed meditation in a morning, Perhaps that would provide real long-term benefits to the work I do as an interior design professional. That's the idea here. So in my experimentation, uh, I tried the app, the meditation apps, several of them. I tried a meditation class, and I've tried to be more vigilant about blocking time on my calendar and then focusing on a task. I've mentioned this before. It was an amazing New York Times article I read, and it was essentially, today I will feel awesome if... And then you could list up to three things you needed to accomplish for the day. And so today I will feel awesome if I can complete the sourcing for the project we are doing in Cremor. Today I will feel awesome if I get to my yoga class. Today I will feel awesome if I don't work past noon. Whatever it is that would make you feel awesome at the end of the day, to just name that, create that intention in the morning, and then really focus on getting those three things accomplished. And I have to say, that has been the most empowering thing that I've tried because it's allowed me to create a day where I win. Previously, Every single day was a day where I lost. No matter how hard I worked, there were still things on my to-do list, still things I didn't get done, still things that I really, really wanted to do, but I didn't get to. So every day I left work feeling that I hadn't quite scratched that itch, if you know what I mean. Today I will feel awesome if one, two, three. 
has been singularly helpful to me. As I've been experimenting with this mindfulness idea, I've stumbled on some statistics that are pretty surprising. One of them involves a UK study that said women will spend 30 days a year playing games on their cell phone. 30 days a year. That's that's kind of crazy. And I thought that couldn't possibly apply to me until I realized, you know how often you're waiting for the dentist or on a plane, and sure enough, I am playing Farm Heroes or Candy Crush or something ridiculous on a on a tablet or my phone. And I thought, you know what? I I guess if I truly added up all of that time, that is what would be happening. I wonder if I could use that time more productively. Hmm. Another statistic says that people will check their cell phones on average 47 times a day. 47 times a day. That's 47 times a day where I am distracted from wherever my feet are planted. Now, I know the cell phone has allowed me to be more flexible uh, in my life. So I can be jumping on a plane, but answering an important question at the office. So I don't begrudge that. On the other hand, when it becomes tech overload, I do feel myself getting anxious and feeling burdened in a way I don't remember feeling 10 or 15 years ago. So it's just something to think about. A couple of days ago, I was at Whole Foods and I picked up a Time Magazine special edition called The New Mindfulness. And everything inside really resonated with me and prompted this entire conversation I'm having with myself and hopefully with you. An article written by Danielle Friedman goes into some detail about tech burnout. And in that article, she suggests seven things you can do to kind of get your life back from technology. The first one I thought I really have adopted and I am very grateful it has made a difference and it has to do with turning off push notifications. Don't allow your cell phone to beep and honk and boink at you at all hours of the day and night. It's totally distracting and that I have found has made a big difference in how often I look at my cell phone. She also suggests that you designate tech-free hours. And for me, that has had to be that first thing in the morning when I'm working on my one, two, three, today I will feel awesome if. I will stop everything. I'll put my phone aside. It's not beside me. I do not check messages. I do not check emails. And I concentrate on the tasks at hand. One more she shares has to do with rediscovering paper, and I have also been experimenting with that. I used to do all of my writing when I wrote columns or courses for business of design on paper, and I found it cathartic. There's something about sitting quietly with a cup of coffee and a pad and a pen in your hand and just kind of working things out on paper. In an effort to be more efficient, I switched to doing everything on a laptop, which is great. It is more efficient. But sometimes when I'm really struggling with a thought, just pulling out a pen and a paper will center me and get me back on track in a quick way. And then often I'll jump back to the laptop. 
Anyway, it was a really good special edition. I rarely pick up a print magazine anymore, and maybe that's something I can think about doing as well. Let's check in with Cheryl Horn, and then I'd like to move the conversation to how we can use mindfulness to work more efficiently and effectively on behalf of our clients and in our interior design jobs. Thanks for being here. Cheryl, we're on the countdown now. The retreat is more than half sold out. We are looking for interior design professionals who are ready to really transform their business to join us in Santa Monica. Yes, so it's this is the last week. If you just want to pay the deposit and you've got until um, July 15th to do the balance, uh, it's coming up October 24th to 27th. It's $2,800 and it is a business write-off, which a lot of people keep saying we should do a course on when you travel for these kind of events. How do I write it off? What expenses does everything go for even when they join us at, at other events? So um, I'll add that one to the list, but this event definitely is a business write-off. Yes, it is. And we have been working really hard on the itinerary to make sure we are providing new content to those people who have been long-term members of Business of Design and to those people who are joining us for the very first time. And in some cases, they are not yet paid members of Business of Design, but rather they're curious. And we're saying, come on this retreat. You won't be curious anymore. We can transform your business And we know that from years and years experience and the feedback we get from uh, listeners and members just like you. So I hope you'll join us. We are going to do some intensive learning. You will be required to work and we are going to follow up with you afterwards to make sure you're implementing the things that we talked about. But we'll temper all that hard learning with some home tours, garden tours, some fun events in some of my favorite places around Santa Monica, Malibu, and Venice. So anticipating this to be a life-changing trip, you should join us. Definitely mm-hmm. join us. Well, and I love that so um, quite a few of our attendees this year are from last year's retreat. Most of them were the first ones to sign up, uh, which is great. So I do encourage you, if you're going to sign up, we've had so many testimonials, so many people just still on the fence that need to take that next step. So this is the last week to register for just the deposit. And next week, we'll be sending all of our attendees out a questionnaire because we really do cater all of the learnings to exactly what our attendees want to learn. And we definitely dedicate time to group coaching as well. And we want to make sure that nobody's leaving that retreat with questions unanswered. Good point. And by the way, Cheryl, of course, will be there. I know whenever I go to an event now, they go, where's Cheryl? And if you're not there, they're all like disappointed, Cheryl. It's, you know, you've you've got your fan base happening here. Um, (laughs) Also, you'll meet Janine Laudenbach, who's our program specialist, and she has expertise and a master's in leadership and community. Uh, And Kathy Seal, who's a senior designer and has been my right-hand senior designer for more than a decade, is there as well. And it's interesting, a lot of people have questions for Kathy, very specific questions about how she manages working with me and for me, et cetera. So that was kind of fun to watch. Yeah, that's a new perspective because a lot of um, uh, the designers who join us do have staff. They are look or they're looking to hire their first staff member. So it's nice to have that other perspective. Well, Cheryl, I, for one, am excited and ready to go. And we've received some of our goodies we're going to give out at the retreat now. So I have them in hand and we will not be revealing those secrets, but you know what they are, Cheryl. It's pretty exciting. 
Oh, I know. I love that we do, you know, so many surprises throughout the whole trip. It's great. Exactly. All right. Have a great week. You too. Talk to you soon. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. So back to that same special interest magazine from uh, Time Another article in the magazine that was really good, written by Jancy Dunn, asked the question, can a clear home bring a clear mind? And the answer for me is 100% absolutely yes. The less stuff I have, the less visual clutter I have, the more organized my home feels, the easier I can operate in that space the easier I can find things I need to get my hands on. For example, if I'm going on a trip, where's my travel charger? If I have a place for my travel charger, I don't have to even ask that question. I just walk over to the drawer and I know where it is and it goes inside a suitcase. And then when I come home and I unpack, I don't have to think, oh, I'll put this here on top of the console in the entranceway and then I'll figure out where it goes later and then move it to the kitchen and then move it to the bedroom and then move it to the den. Instead, when I unpack, I know exactly where my travel charger goes. It goes back to the drawer where all the chargers go. There cannot be a living person who has not heard of Marie Kondo and her missive on tidying up. Sometimes I think it's hard to listen to something like that that feels like it's being force-fed to our collective consciousness. On the other hand, in this case, I believe she came along at a moment when we were all kind of thinking that we were overwhelmed and overburdened, and this just makes sense. Star Hansen, who is a professional organizer in Los Angeles, says that stress comes from anything that's unresolved in our lives. Hmm, I feel stress over a to-do list because it's not all figured out or completed. I feel stressed when I'm not sure what the answer is to a question about something I've asked on a job site. I feel stressed when I don't know where my kid is. Where's my kid? He's supposed to be here. He's 20 minutes late and he's not answering his phone. I feel stressed, right? Those things are unresolved. Well, Star goes on to say that clutter and stuff you own also represents unresolved issues sometimes because they can be an expression of your past, of your hopes, of your future, and all of those things represent unknown. And if you have dozens and dozens of items or hundreds of items in your physical space that represent all these various states of unresolve, it's easy for me to understand why looking at those things is going to add to my stress level 
rather than make me feel calm and happy and as if I'm living in abundance. Decluttering then becomes an exercise in creating happiness for myself. And therefore, it means decluttering becomes an exercise in creating happiness for our customers, our clients. But how do we talk to clients about letting go of objects they've paid money for and feel in some way attached to? How do we convince them that the letting go is where the freedom lies. The letting go is where the liberation comes from. And the letting go is where you'll find your happiness. Let's take an example we probably all have had. The client has a piece of furniture. She's not terribly fond of it, but it belonged to her husband's grandmother. And she was beloved. And it's a chair. It's a chair that's too small. It's a chair that's somewhat broken down and rickety, and it's not terribly charming. How do you then say to the customer, like, I don't care how much you love grandma, that chair has to go, right? I think, first of all, we want to be very diplomatic, but I also think you want to make sure clients are considering the mental drain that comes with owning things that don't bring you joy, as Marie Kondo says. And by the way, that is not a new idea. I remember 15, 16 years ago traveling with one of my television shows. We were in Japan and we were filming with a Japanese architect. And he explained to me that in Japan, they will often put one vase on a shelf. And that vase will stay on the shelf for three months or six months, representing a certain season of time. And then they'll take that one vase off the shelf put it away out of sight, and bring out a different vase. And the idea is that you would be able to really concentrate and appreciate the beauty of the one vase, rather than be distracted by the fact that there are multiple vases all the time. You move them in and out of your consciousness so you can really think about them and appreciate them. So you could meditate on them almost. In your client's case, if the chair from grandma isn't bringing joy, so often we are tasked with the job of finding a place for it that won't interfere with daily life, but they're still hanging on to it. And I wonder how great grandma would feel knowing that every single time you look at that chair, you're thinking, yeah, you know, maybe not so great. Maybe grandma would be really happy if that chair ended up in the hands of someone who really wanted it, someone who could love it, or someone who needed it, right? I often think when I'm letting go of things that I'm allowing someone who doesn't have this thing to enjoy it. I'm robbing someone of an opportunity to use something or have something that they may need. But wait a minute, Kimberly, I can almost hear some of you saying, our job is to sell stuff to our clients. We sell them sofas and chairs and pillows and throws and vases and artwork, etc. I don't have any objection to selling my clients things, but I think there's a huge difference between selling them the right piece and indiscriminately allowing them to collect everything there is just because they can. Does that make sense? I want them to have everything they need in exactly the right place and to find joy in everything I place for them. And then I want them to let go of those things that are extra. 
What I don't want to find myself doing is moving that extra stuff from room to room, right? We go to people's houses all the time and they say, we have a whole bunch of artwork in the basement or in the attic or in the garage. And would you go through it and see if there's anything you can use? Absolutely. Happy to do that. So we go through it. We consider whether or not something is right. We figure out where it's going to be placed and we use as much of a client's existing art collection as possible. But the fact is often it's artwork that they collected 20 years previously. They were younger. They were different people. It's immature. Um, It really doesn't suit the new space. And so we have to deliver the bad news that, hey, we were able to use these five pieces, but these 15 pieces here, we really couldn't find a spot for. And then one of two things happens. Sometimes a client will say, okay, great. Let's donate the other pieces. And I'm so happy. But other times they'll say, could you just go around again and try? How about a guest bedroom? How about we put it in the downstairs powder room? The fact of the matter is, if it's not bringing you joy, if it's not exactly right, letting it go feels so good, right? I want the clients ultimately to be left with a home that makes them feel good in every single room when they open every single drawer. No unresolved issues. (laughs) I'm going to start talking to my clients about clutter in a more intentional way. I often feel that we move things around and hide things in the basement and tell them, you know, we put these things over here in a pile because we really weren't sure what to do with them. And then sometimes the clients put them back in the space. That's not really authentic. I think it would be more authentic to ask the clients how they might feel about creating a visual space that brings peace and calm to the home in a very real way and has perhaps some tangible benefits in terms of emotional satisfaction. Maybe that's a conversation clients are more open to than I might have previously thought. It's also giving me the push that I think I've been wanting for a long time to talk to clients, not just about what the kitchen, let's say, is going to look like, but can we tackle the interior of the kitchen as well? I so often say to the clients, like, do you want to do the editing and get rid of some pots and pans because not everything's going to fit or do you want us to? And clients will usually say, no, 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 I will. But I'm wondering if it wouldn't make sense for us to get more involved in that process, to really open up the drawers and say, do you love this cutlery? Because it's pretty scrappy. You know, I don't see a lovely matched set of cutlery here. How would you feel about, you know, six place settings of something you really loved? And yeah, Absolutely. I will make more money if I do that with my clients, but I don't think that's what's motivating me here. I truly think at the end of a project, I would love for my clients to be able to open every drawer and experience the calm that comes from true organization and having just enough, but not too much in your life. I hired someone several years back. Her name is Erin Nadler in Toronto to come to my condo and go through my closet and help me figure out what to keep and what to let go of. And she has now been with me three, four years, two or three times a year. She comes in and we go through this exercise. One of the things she did for me, which I'm sure she doesn't think was anything big at all, she organized my shoes so that I had open-toed shoes on one side of my closet and closed-toed shoes on the other side. That sounds like a ridiculous thing, and I certainly thought it was kind of goofy at first. But can I tell you, 
That's incredible. And here's what I learned. I love open-toed shoes. I have a full part of my closet with open-toed shoes, and then I have a very few closed-toed shoes. Now, this is a riot because this is in Toronto, people. We have snow, we have rain, we have seasons. So the vast majority of my days in Toronto are spent in closed-toed shoes. Those open-toed shoes represent exactly what Star Hansen is talking about, hope. They represent the hope that it's going to be hot and sunny and I can show my toes off, right? I can show off that fresh pedicure, but it's not realistic for me in Toronto. So doing that, organizing my shoes into those two halves has saved me so much money because I've gone shopping. I see a pair of shoes with open toes. I'm all excited. Immediately, I want those shoes. I can picture myself wearing them on a sunny day. And then I remind myself... I have dozens of pairs of open-toed shoes. I don't need open-toed shoes. I actually need closed-toed shoes. And I have stopped myself from buying so many pairs of shoes thanks to Erin. Money well spent for sure. Erin Nadler of Better Styled. Check her out. She also did this, of course, with my clothing. She separated out all my pants by color and by season. And I saw clearly with my own eyes that I buy black pants a lot. I buy black jeans and black work pants and black stretch pants. And there seems to be no limit to the number of black pants I will buy. Why? They're slimming. Everybody knows that. So of course I want black pants. How many black pants can I wear in a week, in a month, in a year? Certainly not as many as I owned. So it was really an effective exercise for me. And the result was I spent a lot less money on clothing. I weeded out those things that didn't bring me joy. And I paired other things up that I thought I liked, but I wasn't sure what I was going to do with. So they became outfits I could then wear. Again, isn't this something that I could suggest for my clients? Perhaps it's something you outsource. You don't necessarily have to be the person who does it with a client, but something like that, that can make a master bedroom closet have some space in it, feel more open, feel more organized, certainly is a service to my clients. But in order to do that, I have to have my systems and my processes so ironed out that I've got the time and the bandwidth to think of those extra touches that up to now I really haven't given my full attention or put another way that I haven't been mindful of. Hmm. There's a lot to talk about in this subject. There truly is. I'd love to hear your thoughts on mindfulness and whatever tips and techniques and tricks you use to keep yourself focused and attentive on the work that's in front of you. And we'll happily share those on an upcoming podcast. So let us know if you've got a tip that can help everyone in the community. My design intervention for today then has to be the following things. Number one, consider setting an intention in the morning that sounds something like, today I will feel awesome if I accomplish the following things and limit yourself to three things that really matter for the day, not always work-related. Number two, slow down long enough. And by the way, this is for me. This is what I'm implementing. Slow down long enough 
to consider what's behind the drawers and doors in a client's house, as well as what's in front of them or what the actual doors and drawers look like. Allow clients the opportunity to see what it would be like if you really brought experts into their home who could help them solve all of the challenges. And number three for me is going to be to continue the quest to meditate. Maybe 10 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day. Time I can take to consider where I'm headed or maybe even just be grateful for where I'm at. I will report back and let you know how it goes. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for being here. I am so grateful you are in my life. I can't thank you enough for your love and support. Have a fabulous, mindful week. Thank you for being a part of the Business of Design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, a free introductory course which includes three business of design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a business of design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today 